Last week, a man named Daryl Brooks drove his car into a parade in Wisconsin, killing six people and injuring dozens more. And there's enough video evidence of him on social media to indicate that this was, in fact, an anti-white terrorist attack. But this is currently being memory hold by our corrupt mainstream media who does not want to accept the hatred that it is causing in this country. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. Okay, Problematic. So, uh, last week, something really tragic and terrible happened. I know that you have probably heard of this before. I purposefully um, did not take this on last week. Number one, you know, look, it was a holiday week. And number two, th- just this this whole thing, the, just the whole thing is just tragic. Um, so you guys know, you guys have read this story. Um, a man named Daryl Brooks drove a car into a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, killing six people and injuring dozens more. And when you saw sort of the way that this was reported immediately, and I and I remember um, seeing video footage on Twitter of just the car, you know, just driving, speeding past. Like, I, there was no video footage of him actually hitting people. Um, I find that stuff deeply disturbing. I'm glad that there wasn't. But I remember earlier on, there was a lot of stuff that we didn't know. And I remember there were a lot of reports that said, I, I just remember at the very beginning, there were a lot of reports that said, oh, this person was running away from something or he was speeding from a knife fight or something like that. And all of this stuff um, ended up being completely disproven. And the narrative really started to shift once we found out that this was not only a black man, but he was like literally like a black nationalist BLM militant. And all, he's got so much stuff on social media where he's talking about this is the revolution. Like this guy was, a you know, a rapper. He had, you know, violent, um, violent stuff, you know, guns, like all of this crazy stuff. Right. Um, and so all of the evidence is there is that this was basically an anti-white hate crime. Yes, they do exist. Um, and then you find out that this guy had all of these prior convictions, was released on $1,000 bail for his last, um, you know, brush with the law. And so you realize this stuff. And this is a conversation about a lot of things. This is a conversation about um, how the mainstream media is poisoning the minds of so many people with sort of this BLM, everything is racist, like just era that we're in. And there are people that are stupid enough to really fall for this stuff. You have to understand that there are people who take this stuff as gospel. So there's that. Um, There is the hypocrisy of the coverage of it by the mainstream media because problematics, you... And I both know. Um, And I'm just going to point out the obvious here is that we have a corporate media complex that spends an inordinate amount of time trying to convince you that white supremacist terrorists are the biggest threat in American society today. This is what you get on CNN. This is what you get on MSNBC. This is what you get from all of the mainstream liberal commentators everywhere from the view to the liberal pot, like all of that stuff. So this is the messaging that we are getting, right? So we are being told that the biggest threat is these white supremacist terrorists. And, and when a Farrakhan-following black nationalist intentionally kills white people in Wisconsin, it is completely ignored. Not only is it ignored in memory hold. In fact, you know, some of these outlets just basically flat out lie about this. Now, CNN, you know, this is the, the favorite target because it just everything is just so fake there. Now, they are getting a lot of flack for a tweet that they put out. And it reads as follows. 
Waukesha will hold a moment of silence today, marking one week since a car drove through a city Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring scores of others. Now, what is different uh, about that? So it is not, you know, a black nationalist anti-white terrorist that just, you know, drove through a Christmas parade killing six people. Um, No, it was just a car. And it is just really funny how when it comes to the media's coverage of what I like to call inconvenient terrorist attacks, it's always the car that did it. Or in the case of, oh, God, our our friends in London, that place is falling right now, by the way, because they have, you know, pretty much just been, you know, taken over by this PC crap. And they there's so much terrorist stuff. As a matter of fact, there was a terrorist attack over there a couple of weeks ago that that got memory hold. And when you see it reported um, from London, oh, it's just a knife, you know, somebody, it's just a knife stab people. So this is a lot of what is happening here. And what you have to understand, this thing with CNN, and and this is going on in a lot of different mainstream media outlets. There was, you know, a clip on WGN where they called it an accident. This was no accident. This was an intentional act of terrorism, right? And so this is what happens when we have these inconvenient terrorist attacks. So this is something that um, Buzz Patterson, who is a congressional candidate in California, said to the CNN. He said, a car did this, not a human being with intent to kill and maim and being held on a $5 million bail. You guys are a joke, okay? Um, And former New York Times reporter Nellie Bowles tweeted, someone is radicalizing cars, right? So this is where we're at right now. And and look, I can talk about, you know, the mainstream media and their hypocrisy and everybody knows. And and that is just low hanging fruit. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But I, I really have to understand and I really have to get you guys to understand how dangerous and stupid this all is. Um, It is stupid because these people think that you are stupid and they expect for you not to be exposed to any news that is not curated for you by them. And this stuff is all breaking down right now with the advent of new media, with the advent of, you know, podcasting and social media. It is just becoming harder and harder for these people to hide this information, right? which is why they're they're going towards censorship, which is why there's certain things that you can't say on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and, and they're trying to censor um, a lot of this stuff. And this is the gatekeepers realizing now that it is harder for them to spin things and it's harder for them to make things disappear. But honestly, you know, what do we all expect? And look, there's a lot of opinion commentators who are all doing the same you know, song and dance about the double standard and the anti-white racism and all of that stuff. And and I'm not going to harp too much on that. But what I want to talk about problematics when it comes to this case, when it comes to this person who is obviously a mentally disturbed sort of BLM, you know, militant and, and all of this other stuff, nobody thinks about the effect that all of this race propaganda is having on the minds of black people. And I want you to seriously think of something problematic. Imagine, and I know my problematics, I know you guys are black, white, Latino, a gay, straight, like you guys come from all aspects of, of the spectrum here. But if you're not black, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the effects that all of this stuff has on the psyche and on the minds of the black Americans that literally pay attention to this stuff every single day. And this is the messages um, in the 
this is what they're getting about being black. They're getting that the world is racist, that America is racist and hateful, that white people are hateful, that white people are inherently evil, that we need to tear down America, that we need to tear down our statues, that black people just cannot get ahead. And that if you are black and you are not doing well, or if you are broke, or if you are struggling in life, it is not your own fault. It is the fault of these evil white people. And so the vast majority of people that get messaging like this. The vast majority of them are not insane, right? So it's like two different categories. So if you're a non-crazy person that gets messages like this all the time, the effect is that it, you know, it, it depresses you. It makes you sad and it also makes you angry and it also makes you bitter. I know people that are like this. I know people that are so far deep down into the woke rabbit hole that they cannot take responsibilities for their lives because they are being told that every shortcoming that they have as a human being in this world is the fault of white people. This is what they're being told by Joy Reid, by Don Lemon, by The Shade Room on Instagram, by God only knows how many black liberal commentators there are that are, that are pushing out the same message, right? So for the vast majority of black Americans that are not insane, this is just going to make them depressed, sad, um, maybe resentful of, of white people, maybe jealous and envious and all of this other stuff because there is, they're just getting these messages that there are these great, there's this great life to be had and there's these great riches and you can't get it because of these evil white people keeping you down, right? But there is another group of people that actually are mentally unstable, that actually are insane. Like, I am just assuming um, this Daryl Brooks person is. This person is mentally unstable. This person obviously insane, obviously a career criminal, obviously has a lot of problems. So when this messaging and this imagery gets into the mind of somebody that is already unbalanced, you are going to see things like we just saw in Wisconsin. And it is so dangerous and it is so stupid for the left to keep on putting this, um, this information and this messaging out over and over and over and over again because this is what gets them political power. And this is what they think helps them win elections. And so when this blows up in this powder keg, when you have this man killed, and it was the saddest thing in the world seeing um, – Seeing the stories about this, this this young kid, this eight-year-old kid that just died, he was on life support for a really long time, um, and they just took him off the ventilator, right? And it is a deeply, deeply sad thing. And you have a media, and you have this political liberal commentator complex that literally just does not care about the things that they are saying. And that's the most dangerous thing of all right now. It is dangerous and it's stupid. And I will tell you this, problematics, if we keep on going down this path, if the liberal media keeps going down this path of taking their cues from Democrats who have no idea how to gain political power other than pushing an idea of victimhood to Black people, to gay people, to Latino people, and making straight white people, the villains um, in these people's lives, if we keep on going down that path, not only will it destroy America, but we will start seeing more of this stuff and we will start seeing more terrorist attacks like this 
that are going to be harder and harder for them to memory hold. It is a very sad state in where our society is right now, where you have to think twice about going to a Christmas parade in Wisconsin. This stuff is really dangerous. This stuff is scary. This stuff is going to lead to further militarization of our lives here in America. Now, look, I was, uh, you know, I was in New York um, a couple of weeks ago, went to go see a show. You know, you have to go through a metal detector to get into the Broadway theaters nowadays. You don't have to go through a metal detector to get, through, to, to get into these theaters 10 years ago. But this is where we're at right now. And at a certain point, I, you know, just harping and harping and harping on the media is such low-hanging fruit because I, I know how this stuff works. Like, I'm a media personality. I am in the media. And I guess the only thing that I can say is for, for everybody, including myself, is to just be very careful about the messages that you're putting out there. I think that for me, in the, in the stuff that I try to tell you, problematics, and if you go on my Facebook page, Facebook at Rob Smith Online, you know, I do videos there every single day, about five, six videos a day, just about, you know, what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world. And I always try to have like a really pragmatic message. I don't want to demonize um, liberals. Like, I don't think they're evil. I just think they're stupid. <laughs> um, and, and they should be led to the truth like you would lead like literally a child to school. But we have a lot of people on the left that literally do not think about what they say. And they really do foment this hatred because it gets them political power. It either gets them book deals. In the case of Robin DiAngelo, um, it makes them a, a multimillionaire. In the case of the BLM co-founders, the one with the uh, um, $3.5 million real estate portfolio, right? So if we don't find a way out of this moment that we are in, and if we don't find a way to get these Democrats and the people on the left to chill with the race stuff, these people are, I, I cannot even comprehend the obsession that these people have with race. And it is becoming an obsession that is damaging America. And this is all new. This is all new media. This is about Democrats. This is about, you know, this new um, political climate that we're in. And I will tell you this, if we do not figure out a way to talk to each other without demonizing each other, the stuff like what happened in Wisconsin, this stuff is just going to keep happening and it's going to make America a more dangerous place. Up next, Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert said something so stupid and offensive about Ilhan Omar, she had to apologize. I'll tell you what it was and my take on it after the break. Okay, Problematics, before I, I get into this segment and before I get into this whole thing, you may or may not have heard about this, but you've not heard my take on it, which I'm going to give to you. I have to be very clear about my feelings about Ilhan Omar. I do not like this woman. I think that she represents the absolute worst in millennial entitlement and grievance culture. She is a very dangerous race hustler and at the very least a terrorist sympathizer. And you all know the some people did something comments, right? So I'm not going to back down on the fact that those were terrorist sympathizing comments. 
right? If in this last segment, if I would were to talk about this Daryl Brooks guy, and I was like, well, you know, I you know, I kind of understand what he said. Like, you know, white people are blah blah blah. Like that's terrorist sympathizing, right? And so this was the take that Ilhan Omar had on the 9-11 hijackers, right? I do believe that this woman is is not only stupid, but entitled and actually dangerous. And I don't think that this person should be in Congress. She is somebody that has been rescued from a refugee camp in Somalia, given a life most people can only dream of, and still complains about America every chance she gets. This is not a good person, okay? Still, these remarks by Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Berbert Bobert are stupid, sad, and very unbecoming of anybody that is a sitting congressman or woman. And I want you to listen to the the full clip of what she had to say. Actually, I have an Ilhan story for you. So, <laughs> so uh, the other night on the House floor was not the my first jihad squad moment. Uh, so. I was getting into an elevator with one of my staffers and he and I are, we're leaving the Capitol. We're going back to my office and we get in the elevator and I see a Capitol police officer running hurriedly to the elevator. I see fret all over his face and he's reaching and I'm like, what? I can't, the door's shutting. Like I can't, I can't open it. Like what's happening? I look to my left and there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. <laughs> and so, look, that's the kind of stuff I, you know, sometimes I really do. I just, I wonder about some of these people that are in Congress that are allegedly supposed to be representing me. I mean, she's representing her district. I guess that's how they speak in her district. That like these people at a certain point, a lot of these lunatics that are in Congress right now on, on both sides, like these people do not represent me. And this is what I think, honestly. And this is what people need to understand. There are jokes that you can maybe make to your friends. I call it kitchen table talk. This is I got this from the great Wendy Williams, the great one of the greatest ever do radio. It's kitchen table talk. And kitchen table talk is somebody that is a media and political commentator and personality and whatever. There are things that I would say to my friends while we're at dinner that I would never say in a podcast, I would never say them on camera, and I would never ever say them at a campaign event or a fundraising event or wherever it was that she was, right? So it was a crap thing to say. Um, Not only it, it was stupid, but it was, you just can't be a congresswoman and then basically make a joke about another congressperson being a terrorist. It's just not... It just, it doesn't pass the smell test. And for me, honestly, if I was in that crowd, like literally, if I was in that audience, I would have been looking around. I'd be like, this is really uncomfortable. Because the weirdest thing about it was, is that she felt like it was cool to tell that joke. And also the people in the crowd ate it up. And these are things that make me wonder exactly who is it that we're trying to reach out to here? Exactly what is it that we're doing like as a Republican Party right now? And it's the kind of stuff that needs to be cleaned up. And I'm just absolutely serious about that. And this is not about bowing to the left. And this is not about, oh, you know, political correctness or anything like that. It's about having some semblance of respect for the office that you're holding. And I just don't really feel like that was 
the behavior, the remarks of somebody that has any respect for the office that she's holding. And I'm just going to be completely honest because I'm telling you some problematics. The deeper I get into this game of me doing political commentary and all of this other stuff, I am not here to run comms for the RNC. Like I am not here so that um, I can be friends with Lauren Burbert and I can go take a photo with her and post it on Instagram. I literally do not care. I say what I feel. I say what I want to say because I'm not on the payroll for any of these people. Right. It was a stupid thing to say. And she knew it was stupid because she apologized for it. And so this is the story. So now, after this whole thing happened, Lauren Boebert apologized for it. And this was the the quote that she said. This is what she said after this, because this thing went crazy viral. She said... I apologize to anyone in the Muslim community I offended with my comment about Rep. Omar. I have reached out to her office to speak with her directly. Um, and this is what Ilhan Omar said on uh, on Twitter. She said, fact, this buffoon looks down when she sees me at the Capitol. This whole story is made up. Sad she thinks bigotry gets her clout. Anti-Muslim bigotry isn't funny and shouldn't be normalized. Congress can't be a place where hateful and dangerous Muslim tropes get no condemnation. And I will say this, stop clock. Even a stop clock is right twice a day. I just think that we should hold these people to bigger standards, to higher standards. And I am not talking about the left. These people, I do not care what they do. These people have no standards, right? But this is, as a matter of fact, um, now, after this whole thing happened, now she had kind of doubled down on this. Lauren Borbert doubled down because apparently they had a call where she, you know, she reached out to the staff, like she talked to Ilhan Omar on the phone. Um, apparently, Ilhan Omar ended the call early. This is what Lauren Boebert had to say after this. Hey, everyone. This is Lauren with a quick update on a phone call I had today with squad member Ilhan Omar. I had reached out to her Friday and three days later, I was able to connect with her on the phone because I wanted to let her know directly that I had reflected on my previous remarks. Now, as a strong Christian woman who values faith deeply, I never want anything I say to offend someone's religion. So I told her that even after I put out a public statement to that effect, she said that she still wanted a public apology because what I had done wasn't good enough. So I reiterated to her, what I had just said. She kept asking for a public apology. So I told Ilhan Omar that she should make a public apology to the American people for her anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-police rhetoric. She continued to press and I continued to press back. And then Representative Omar hung up on me. Rejecting an apology and hanging up on someone is part of cancel culture 101 and a pillar of the Democrat party. Make no mistake, I will continue to fearlessly put America first, never sympathizing with terrorists. Unfortunately, Ilhan can't say the same thing. Okay, well, that's enough of that. So look, this is all getting um, a little dramatic and high schoolish for me. Look, sometimes when these Congress people or these senators, sometimes I wonder if, and I think I was having a conversation about this with a friend last night, kitchen table talk over a couple of glasses of red wine. I wonder if any of these people have anybody that is literally just calling them out and telling them that this is stupid. You should not be doing this. Um, I don't think that some of these Congress people do. And I'm telling you what, we are going to see, it's just, there's just going to be more of it because I just, 
this is just there it's this weird Twitter culture where everybody's trying to say something for clout or likes or retweets or whatever. It's made it to Congress. I don't know if it's ever going to change. I don't know if Lauren Boebert's ever going to change. I don't know if any of the ones on both sides that consistently say stupid things are ever going to change. So I guess this is just where we're at nowadays. But as a Republican, as somebody that votes Republican, will continue to vote Republican, will never, ever vote for a Democrat again in my life. I just could never make that decision. It frustrates me, the unforced errors and the stupidity. So if I had anything to say to any of these people, if I was talking to Lauren Berbert right now, I'm just like, look, just like a little less stupidity, um, just a little bit less stupidity. Just think a little bit more how you before you speak. And also, there are people that are pulling the lever for Republicans that are on your team that think that what you said was beyond the pale. Up next, Fauci is at it again, and the COVID fear-mongering is turning up again from the Biden administration. All that after the break. Well, guess what, guys? There is a new coronavirus variant. This coronavirus thing will never, ever end because the Democrats do not want it to end because keeping people fearful, uh, raising the specter of lockdowns, masking up, all of these things help them to remain in control. So now this new variant is the, um, this new variant is the Omicron variant. And, you know, Joe Biden gave his typical, you know, just guy, he gives these speeches and he just looks half dead. He's squinting at the teleprompter. They probably, this is, I just, before I get into this and before I get into Fauci and all this stuff, I just have to say, guys, this is just a very weird presidency. And it's not even that the policies are awful because they are. And it's not even that inflation and the border and all this stuff that I tell you guys about (laughs) twice a week is still happening because it is. But just overall, there is just a weirdness about this presidency. There's a weirdness about how hidden Joe Biden is kept. There is a weirdness about how tightly managed and controlled um, the White House is about presenting him to the public. There's a weirdness about how definitely um, the media, everybody in the media, um, except for uh, Peter Ducey, treats him. Like, this is all just very, very strange, okay? But now we've got this new Omicron variant, and now he is recommending that we go back to wearing masks indoors, right? We just got, we, we were just getting over the hump. And the question for me is this. Fauci is already, you know, Fauci is doing the, the rounds. He is already saying that there's not going to be, um, that COVID is is going to, is endless and COVID is never going to end and, and all of that stuff. So this is something that we're going to be dealing with for quite some time. My question is, every time there's a new variant of this, um, are they going to shut down travel? Is, is the COVID cult going to go back to wearing masks again? There is just... There's somebody that lives in my building. This guy just, he oh, he has a mask on all the time in the gym still. And I just can't believe that going, you know, we're almost two years into this, that people are still doing this. And, you know, he has his wife and his kid with a mask on in the elevator. And I'm just like, Jesus. But it's just like every couple of months, some new variant comes out and, you know, everybody starts, the, the COVID cult starts freaking out again. And that is where we are. And speaking of the COVID cult, its leader, um, Tony Fauci is, you know, now um, speaking out to the media again. And this, it, it, 
the 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 Fauci stuff that is happening right now, it is all getting very sort of um, it is all getting self-important. It is all getting very, very weird and very cult leaderish. This is an interview that he did um, on CBS on uh, Face the Nation on CBS. And so this is basically he's being pressed on some of the criticism that he gets. You know, he's only criticized by Republicans. Right. And this is him being pressed about, you know, how he feels about this criticism. Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. (laughs) I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? Do you think that this is about making you a scapegoat to deflect from President Trump? Of course. You have to be asleep not to figure that one out. Well, there are a lot of Republican senators uh, taking aim at this. I mean, that's okay. I'm just going to do my job. And I'm going to be saving lives and they're going to be lying. It seems another layer of danger to play politics around matters of life and death. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, that's that's unbelievably bad because all I want to do is save people's lives. I mean, anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science... Nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. And if you damage science, you are doing something very detrimental to society long after I leave. They are criticizing science because I represent science. Holy cow. What a megalomaniac. And there is, we've been, you know, we've been watching this guy for going on two years. And there is a distinct just, I don't know, there's a sort of condescension that's seeping into everything that he has to say. The, The deeper and deeper that we get into this. And you realize that this person is a political animal. Nobody stays um, in the White House in that position over multiple different administrations, Republican or Democrat, you know, without knowing how to play politics. And the thing about it is, is that um, the left has played politics with COVID from the very beginning. The left changed election rules in different states, in multiple states um, because of COVID. And they would love to do this again, by the way. Um, leading up to the midterm elections, they instituted lockdowns in order to like all of this stuff was political this entire time. And the idea that if you criticize Tony Fauci, that you're criticizing science is about the most insane thing that I've ever heard in my life. And thank God there is one person um, that, you know, takes him on. And this is Rand Paul, thank God, Senator Rand Paul, who said this is what he said, um, what Rand Paul said on Twitter. The absolute hubris of someone claiming they represent science. It's astounding and alarming that a public health bureaucrat would even think to claim such a thing, especially one who has worked so hard to ignore the science of natural immunity. And I see what, what Rand Paul did there, because there is a science behind natural immunity. 
And there are millions and millions and millions of Americans, myself included, who have had and recovered from coronavirus. In fact, the flu that I had um, in early 2020 was worse than the coronavirus that I had in late 2020, right? So what you have to ask, and when we're talking about uh, coronavirus and all this stuff, what you have to ask is, is there a political motivation for people to ignore the science behind natural immunity? There obviously is. They want people to take this vaccine. And of course, you know, Pfizer wants as many people to take the vaccine as possible. They want boosters every single year because this is a honeypot. It is a gold mine of, of endless government money. And a lot of people don't think about that stuff. And again, guys, I'm going to wrap this conversation up. I have never been an anti-vaxxer. Never, never, never. I've never been an anti-vaxxer. I've only been anti-mandates. And I do not understand the reasoning behind taking a vaccine when I have natural immunity from something that I've already recovered from. I just do not see it. I do not know. And in fact, if you want to talk about how political this all is, if you want to talk about how this was extremely motivated by by politics. I want you to listen to this because what we have here is this is a supercut of every prominent Democrat expressing hesitancy about the vaccine. Listen to this. I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. We can't trust the president uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. If and when the vaccine comes, it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. Let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? We will need to have access to the vaccine results so we can make our independent assessment to make sure that Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints are not on it. You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, Frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And, you know, it, it, it goes on. For another minute, I won't I won't bore you with all this. But you heard um, Cuomo, you heard Ilhan Omar, you heard Kamala Harris, you heard Joe Biden. And these are the things that they were saying literally just last year. The only thing that is different right now is the president. Um, and so, again, when it comes to Tony Fauci, when it comes to this vaccine, when it comes to this new variant, make your own decisions about how you want to negotiate your health. I don't think that's the government's job to do. It's certainly not my job or any other political commentator's job. But when you have Tony Fauci talking like criticizing him as criticizing science, and you know that a lot of these people that are calling you a criminal if you do not have the vaccine were expressing hesitancy just a year ago, you know that, yes, this is all political and resist the urge of anybody, including Dr. Fauci, that is telling you that you can't criticize this or that you're not allowed to have a dissenting opinion. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And to hear more of my episodes and to get my weekly newsletter, go to gingrich360.com slash Rob. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. 
Special thanks to our producer, Robert Borowski, and executive producers, Debbie Myers and speaker, Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network.